Good morning, everybody. Sorry, I got to set my stuff up. I was waiting for the awkward stuff to happen. Hey, uh, second service. First service, we got to do a awesome baby dedication, dedicating six new babies in our church. You missed that. Sorry online, you missed that. Uh, but with kids, church, and everything, first service, that's when we do it. It was a wonderful time. Today, we're going to go right into the message. Before we do that, I do want to say, I really want to encourage you to sign up for the rap sessions that uh, was announced on there coming up this next week. It is just a great time. We'll have tables in here, maybe some snacks, and just an opportunity to have some rap sessions. Just talk about what's going on. This is a place you can bring Friends, people that know God, don't know God, it doesn't matter. It's a place of dialogue because I think the church should be one of the most open places to dialogue about things, not just preach at you, but also build relationship around what do we believe, what's going on, and a, a safe place to be able to do that. You do not want to miss this opportunity to be able to do that together. We do wrap sessions about quarterly, so uh, you want to make sure you sign up for that. What a great time it will be. Hey, my name is Chris Pate. I'm the lead pastor here at City Life, in case you're new with us. We're so thankful you're here or joining us online. With that said, we're going to dive right into our series called Recalled. How many of you guys were here last week? Anybody here last week? A few people. And last week we started this series called Recalled. And the idea of this series, Recalled, is when manufacturers have to recall something back to the manufacturer in order to fix it because something was wrong or something's not working correctly, like a car. Uh, last week, we talked about this with both Tesla and Kia and Honda had recalls, almost 500,000 cars recalled, especially Kia and Hyundai, not Honda, Hyundai and Kia, if you have one of those cars, make sure you're good because they were saying they found these foreign contaminants in it that could make it explode even if it's not working. So they were telling people not to park in parking garages even because the car could just implode or explode. That's a little dangerous, a little dangerous. So we talked last week about taking that car in, it's free to take it to the manufacturer. It doesn't cost you anything, just a little time. And they want to fix it. And we talked about that with going back to God, our manufacturer, with our things as the world has brought in contaminants and different things into us, making sure we go back and the gospel doesn't cost us anything. And with that, we talked about what discipleship is. I thought it was interesting this week, there was another recall. You can't make this stuff up. Um, maybe I just haven't been paying attention as much, but there was a recall for baby formula this week uh, that just happened because there was reported bacterial infections in four infants. So they had to do a voluntary recall to make sure nobody else is getting sick because whatever was in there is killing our babies. And we believe the children of the future. You teach them well. You let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty that they possess inside. Give them a sense of pride to make it easy. Okay, I'm done. Uh, thank you, Whitney. But this idea of recall, coming back, coming back. We gotta fix something. I believe the Lord wants to do this and is doing this in his church. Not just our church, but the church collectively. Recalling us back to purpose and mission. What are we about? Because yes, you need certain relational things and everything starts relationally with God, but God brings you to himself and then sends you out 
with himself on mission. And a lot of times we can focus on the relational aspect and doing the right things as we've been doing. We've talked about abide in him, getting in your word, all of these things. Keep doing that. In fact, we're talking about addition, not subtraction. I think in a lot of our conversations, we actually need to reframe some of that. It's not subtract this, it's add this to it. So add to your relationship with God. You're abiding with God, the mission of God. And you will find in yourself being used by God in a beautiful fashion. In fact, the scripture says that everybody in here has been called to walk in purposes, to walk out certain good works. Everybody in here, not reserved for the pastor or the staff or an elder. Every person, you have a call. God designed you intricately in the womb for a purpose. And he gave you giftings, gifts of the Father as you come to the church, gifts of the Son and the Spirit in order to walk out and be fruitful in this life. We sum up our calling and our purpose at City Life with this phrase, honor God and make disciples. Last week, we talked about what kind of disciple he's recalling us back to. And we said that a disciple, first of all, is not, discipleship is not a class you take or a program. It's not a leadership development course. It's not even a one-on-one -on -one meeting that you have with somebody. Discipleship is everything. And you can recap that last week. We gave the sentence of discipleship this, a follower of Jesus who is Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible. That's what we mean when we say discipleship. Another way to say that, we said last week, is being a disciple of Jesus is moving from continuous partial attention, like I, I bring God into my consciousness every once in a while, or maybe do my little devotion in the morning, then move on, or go to church, and then I'm on my own. That is not discipleship, but discipleship is constant, conscious communion with God. The God who said, I'll be with you always. How many of you guys need God with you after you leave this building? How many of you guys need God with you in the morning when you have the case of the Mondays that they say is office space and then punch somebody when they say that? I'm telling you, we need him all the time because you were made to run on him. And we said that's what discipleship is. Another way to put it, Christ and spirit and responsible is to be with Jesus. Just to be with him. To become like him. I want to I wanna be like him, but he's got to craft things in my character and my spirit. And I've got to trust him to do that. And I want to ultimately do the things that he would do. Behave like him. What would Jesus do if he was me in this moment, in this time? And that takes time to develop and really to get in the heart of everything we do. As we do this um, constant conscious communion, it becomes kind of a habit of our soul that forms almost like this spiritual reflex. 
And that's what we want. We, we want to have a spiritual reflex where it just happens. It's like a, a, somebody who's disciplined in their craft. They don't even think about it anymore. It's like when, when, when I remember when I taught my, my son first how to drive, I'm about to have to t- teach my other daughter how to drive. Like at first it feels so calculated and you're just like, it feels a lot of discipline because you're checking the mirror nah, 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 and making sure you're not running over a dog and you're thinking about everything and you're like, oh, I got to turn here. And, and in fact, to make fun of my, my son as he was doing, you're welcome, as he was doing his driver's ed course. Um, it was so amazing because he failed the first time because the lady said, um, go through the stop, go straight through the stop sign. And he heard go through the stop sign instead of stop and then go straight. Or And, and, he, and so he just went through the stop sign and immediately he drove back and I was like, what happened? He's like, I already failed. Um, because he's overthinking it so much. He knows the right thing to do, but he's overthinking because it's so methodical. And that's how it is at first with Christianity a lot of times. Like you're having to change the way you think. It feels really methodical and I gotta get up and create these new rhythms and be with Jesus. What does that look like? Because I'm used to just being on my own and kind of doing my thing and having to stop and bring God constantly, consciously into communion is a discipline, but the goal is it becomes a habit to where some of you right now probably need to go back to learning how to drive again because you're just like, whatever, like you don't think about it anymore. You ever driven somewhere? You're like, I don't even remember getting here. Come on, come on. Addison, you better say no. Okay. Um, and that's, that's what happens as we walk in discipleship with Jesus. It might feel rudimentary at first, but then there starts to become a reflex and it's a habit and it gives you so much life and you don't even realize it. But the problem is you could take advantage of it and assume it on everyone else. So that's what a disciple is. We covered that last week. But the question I know I would have if I were you is, okay, well, how do I do that? How do I then not just be a disciple, we hit that, but how do I make disciples? If that's what I'm called to do, and everybody in here is called to do that, to be on mission with God and make disciples, how do I do that? Well, I want to look at a few verses, different verses in different even books of the Bible today. If you'll turn with me, open your Bible, light it up, or check out the screen behind me. We're going to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 20. It says this. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is, follow me, be a disciple, the calling of God in the beginning. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through 7 says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, 
If he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And finally, Paul addresses the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9 and gives them a call and an attitude to live by by saying this, verse 19, for though I am free from all, have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. We're seeing scriptures on how to make a disciple. The first one we see is the original call of the 12, a few of the 12. And Jesus says, what you're doing fishing for your sustenance, for your life, I'm going to help you win over men and women to the kingdom of God. This initial call of Jesus is yes to himself, but then through himself, we're going to go change the world. This is a lost art a lot of times in the church because it's just called to me and about me and helping me and God is saving me and getting me out of hell so I can go to heaven. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 the call is not just to me, it's to me, yes, but then we go out. And we do the work of God together. You know, watching other people do great things, we enjoy. You get on your phone or you watch the Super Bowl and you see people do amazing things. And you can get wrapped up into that. I heard people this last week in LA on TV or different places, like, we won the Super Bowl. And like... They're associated with the Super Bowl because they live in L.A., right? Just like we would do if we won the Super Bowl, which, you know, all things are possible through God. I don't have the faith for that. Help my unbelief, Jesus, at least right now. But we would, we won, we won. But I didn't do anything. What did I do? I didn't even contribute. I don't have a jersey or I didn't go to a game, but we won. Everyone wants to be a part of a winning team. Everyone wants to associate themselves with someone who looks like they're successful or winning. There's no greater winning team than the kingdom of God. 
that Jesus began, he says, to plunder the enemy, to bring the keys back. It says, you're a part of that team. But listen, we're not there just to sit on the sidelines or be the referee to the world to say, hey, you should do this and you should do that. We are supposed to get on the field with Jesus in and through us to do the works of God. And that is part of the Christian life. So many Christians leave behind. And then wonder why I'm not experiencing the full life of God. It's because you just got him for you, but you're not allowing him to use you through surrender, through expectation, through prayer, through the full understanding of the gospel. How do we make disciples? The way we talk about it at City Life Church and in every nation, the organization we are part of, the spiritual family we're a part of, is through this thing called the four E's. Number one, engage culture and community. We have to actually enter in, like Jesus entered in to people's world, entered in to their lives, so much so that religious people are looking at him and going, who do you think you are? And he gives the parable of the lost sheep. So much so that Paul is talking to the church saying, I, I become all things to all men that I might win some. I don't think I can win everybody, but even just 1% or 10%, I'm not going to let failure stop me from joining in the mission of God, engaging culture and community. But we don't stop there. We don't just like adopt a kid and then leave them to the state engage culture and community, then we establish them in biblical foundations. In fact, tonight, I'll be teaching along with Chris Jackson a class we call Biblical Foundations. This is for new members in our church or people that are saying, you know what, I need some foundations. I need to know, or I want to know what you believe and get in. Come, 5.30 tonight, we have Biblical Foundations. That's only one way that we do it. But we don't just win you in through the gospel, but then we've got to solidify you and help you have strong foundations. So when, not if, the storms come, when, not if, the rain comes, when, not if, the flood and Hurricane Harvey comes, you have something built where you won't be destroyed like others. Build, we establish foundations, engage culture, community, establish biblical foundations, equip believers to minister. This is helping you know, putting on your armor, knowing your gifting and knowing your lane, your position on the bus. How many times do people just get the gospel and go, okay, I'm going to heaven and they just move on with their life and they're not established and they're not equipped and trained. But that's our job, to equip believers to minister and then finally to empower. So we empower, we give you the, like we authorize, deputize, Go, go, you're ready, go. I can't go to your work. I can't go to your family. But you and the Holy Spirit in you can change lives, can change the atmosphere. We come into this place like a greenhouse effect and watch God do amazing things. Not so that we could just get excited about here, but we can go out and be sent. And you're empowered to do it. Did you know that? You don't have to be a priest. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be ordained. You are called, and he has good works that he said, I've planned this for you. Walk in them. So we do these four things. We engage, we establish, we equip, we empower, and then we start over. Then you help us engage. Then you help us establish. Then you help us equip, and you help us empower. And then they help us, and it is this constant movement of growth 
or a theological term called sanctification as God is using the weakness of us to perform the kingdom of God. It's a beautiful thing, but we need all four of these. Today, we're going to talk more about the others. Today, the highlight is engaged. Let me show you what engaged culture and community is. This is we intentionally engage the culture and community through a conversation or activity to build relationships with people around us and ultimately share the message of the gospel with them. Do you remember when someone shared to you the message of the gospel? Maybe even if you just grew up in church and just grew up like your parents, you just always went. Or maybe like 98% of people came to know Christ before the age of 18. Maybe you just, that's all you've kind of known, but the minister was preaching or that Sunday school teacher talked to you or that parent or that, t- that coach, that teacher, somebody influenced you and shared with you the gospel, not just once to say one prayer, but continued to demonstrate it. Sometimes I, I, I'm saddened to sit down with people to hear how they never had somebody that just demonstrated it. And they had this feeling that they're just all alone. And that is the people of God losing the mission of God and getting mission drift. We are not those people. And what God is calling us to is engage through conversation or activity to build relationship with people on the outside. Not just come here or come to me, but Jesus left heaven to come to earth to engage us. And I'm thankful he did. I'm thankful someone told me about the gospel. And I never want to forget what it's like to not know God. I think that's one of the worst things a believer can do is you get so familiar with your relationship with God, you forgot what it's like without him. You talk about privilege. There is a spiritual privilege that we have that we have to get the faith and passion for those that don't have it. And instead of doing what the world does and what a lot of the church does and religious community can do is go, us against them. The world's dying, going to hell. It doesn't matter. We're just going to hold out. It's just getting darker. Jesus says, the darker it gets, the brighter your light is. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. That's what my Bible says. So what can we do? What can God position us to do? as we think about engaging the lost. In 1 Corinthians 9 that we read earlier, this was Paul's whole attitude. And he wanted to share this with the church like I am doing with you. So he said this, I want you to understand how I think. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, your freedom is great. You have a relationship with God. You didn't earn that relationship. Jesus did it, and he has set you free. So you don't have to do all of these rituals and all of these things and sacrifices and work hard in order for God to love you. He has set you free. And that freedom is awesome, and it's so great. But he says, I am good with my freedom, but my freedom is not my utmost desire. It's not my number, it's a value. It's not my number one value. And let me tell you, in America, that's a hard message. Because freedom is our idol. 
We bow at the feet of freedom in America. And let me, again, we're talking addition, not subtraction. Freedom is good, but there is a higher law than freedom. So much so, Paul says, I love my freedom. I love my personal preferences. But I will become a servant to other people just so I can let them know Jesus the same way Jesus did for me. He came to me. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. If you read in the book of Acts, he makes one of his disciples get circumcised because he knew he was going to talk to Jews. Listen, we're like, man, I ain't wearing a mask for nobody. And he's like, circumcise yourself. And the guy did it because he was going to Jews. And it's like, oh, that's bondage. You're free in Jesus. But he's like, I don't care about my freedom. I want to love them. And if they're convicted of that, I'll do whatever it takes to help them see the love of God. Where is that Christianity? Where is it? We're so divided. We're so frustrated. We're so secluded. And Paul's like, man, I'll do anything. I'll leave the 99. He says, to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. They're bound by all the laws and its rituals and everything you have to do. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll wear that or I'll do that or I'll, I'll be kosher for a little bit because my freedom is good, but I've been set free so I can love. I'm actually not bound by anything. He says to those outside the law, those that don't even have the Bible or scripture or teaching or go to church or do it, they just, they're lawless. Our mentality is, bah. And his mentality is, to those outside the law, verse 21, I became as one outside the law. And uh, he's always having to be like, hold on. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. This is the same Christ that the religious people are mad at him because he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. And eating is a sign of relationship, welcoming them. And the religious people are going, how dare you? That's the law of Christ. And then he says, verse 22, to the weak. I become weak. You ever been around somebody who's weak in their faith? You're just like, bro, you don't even, do you even know God? Why are you doing that? Why are you still struggling with pornography? Why are you still struggling with that issue? And we shun them. And Paul says, man, I become weak. That doesn't mean he's doing what they're doing. And he goes on and he says this, I've become all things to all people. Why? That by all means, I might save some. I might engage culture and community the way Jesus engaged me where I was. He didn't leave me, but I've got to go. And this all things is not Paul advocating some kind of syncretism or compromising this gospel message. Rather, what he's doing, he's promoting this considerate evangelistic approach. It's one ultimately that accounts for different social circumstances, ethnicities, and religious convictions. 
He's saying, my highest law is to love you well. And I'm acting the most like Jesus when I do that as well as I can. That doesn't mean I don't speak truth at some point, but I will enter into your world that I might win some. Thank God he did that. He says, I do it all. Why? For the sake of the gospel. If if the gospel is this message that Jesus paid it all, he did it. In fact, so that you can't boast in how great you are, we are seeing the error of our ways and even our goodness is as filthy rags to God. So we need a savior. We need Jesus and he freely paid it. So now God loves us and welcomes us in. If we turn to him, if we recall back to the manufacturer, that's the message. And so then if we come in and say, but you have to do all of these things, we are distorting the message, at least in the entryway. Listen, he loves you. There's nothing you have to do besides repent, turn. Now we can start establishing things, but if we come in with like 10 laws, 12 laws, people are going, I'm not interested in that. That's the same stuff everybody else is doing. Paul lives this out. And let me tell you, the church needs to get back to some of this. Our church needs to get back to some of this through you, through me, through us to say, are we really willing to leave the night? Are we really willing to go out? Are we really engaging community and culture? Or are we just going, ah, it's just going to get darker and we're going to hole up? And he says, no, don't hide your light. got something for you and the life of God that comes out of you as you step out the adventure that he brings I'm telling you is what a lot of Christians are missing you're bored you have a sword on the top of your mantle that you just stare at and you read the word but then you never get it out to go on offense against the enemy and experience the life and breath of God in your everyday life and then you wonder why I'm just not really getting anything and God's going Get on mission with me. Watch me do miracles as you look up. Watch me bring new people like we did last week and baptize people. Because here's what happens. When new disciples come into the church, it energizes the church. And the seasoned disciples that have been around, that are holding ground, are called to stabilize the church. And you need both. The church, if we just focus on our foundations and are stable all the time, but we never reach out, we have no energy and we die out old. If we just go out all the time and we never have something to bring us back into, it's equally as dangerous, like a fire without a fireplace. But oh, if we could get both. There's nothing like a new believer. There's hunger for God. You're just like, oh man, that's awesome. Like it reminds you of where you were and you're just like, yes. And let's stabilize them and let's send them out to win the world. So how do we do this? Four ways or three ways. Number one, be prayerful. Number two, be salt, which we're going to talk about. Number three, be curious. Here we go. Be prayerful. I, I issued a challenge at the beginning of the year, and we had about 40 people sign up to do this thing called Bless Every Home. It's a, it's, it's a way to be a light to your neighborhood. Your neighbors don't know about it, but you sign up for this thing on this app and, or on the website. And we asked, hey, church, will you do this? Because it starts with prayer. If you won't pray for your neighbor, it, then, then you're not going to go anywhere. Everything starts with prayer because you can't save somebody. You can't fix their marriage. You're not, you, don't, you don't know enough or have enough 
even with your psychology degree and everything you have, to really change anybody. But oh, what God can do as we pray. And so we said, sign up, be a light. And what you'll do is you'll get these emails and it'll send you every day five people to pray for. It even gives you like what to pray. It takes literally two minutes. And we've had 40 people sign up to be lights and 707 people prayed for so far this year, which is great. But 40 people? 40 people said, man, I want to pray for my neighbor. We're not asking you to like climb the highest mountain. We're just like, hey, could you start with prayer? And I just want to say, I think we could do better than that. I think we could say, man, thank you, God, for what you've done in me. Am I perfect? No, but part of my perfection is actually getting out and working with you. Not just waiting for you to fix me, but stepping into mission to help others. We pray. The next thing, let, let me quote this. The more I talk to God about lost people, I love this, when prayer, the more people I have to talk to lost people about God more power I have to talk to lost people about God. It's so true. The more we can pray, dive in. What else can we do? Not just be prayerful, but be salt. Here's salt. It stands for start a conversation, ask questions, listen to learn, and tell your the story. A lot of times we think of like sharing the gospel and being on mission with God. And we think, man, I'm not an evangelist. I can't do this. And it's really as simple as starting a conversation. You could start a conversation with people that just complimenting someone, just relating with them, sharing with them, getting to know them. How many times are you at the grocery store and you're standing in line, there's a line at HEB and, and it's so easy like to get on our phone and just text and be busy because we're trying to shut the world off and we're trying to just be secluded and isolated and just in our own world. And we've got a lot going on. I've got a lot going on in my life. But what happens if you actually just became present and looked around and started praying for the people around you? I heard one person said that uh, you can see the character revealed in someone and how they treat people that they're supposed to serve you or that are supposed to be less than you. Like maybe a, a bus boy or a waitress or a waiter, like they're, they're there trying to get a tip, trying to treat you well or trying to help you. They're serving you, the, the person at the hotel that's making your bed. You can tell the character of somebody about how they treat that person. And if they treat that person less than because they're allowed to, what does that really say about them? But what happens if the people of God actually started looking up and saw the Imago Dei, the image of God, the beauty of each one of those people and said, maybe I should talk to that person. Maybe I should say hi. Maybe again, just start. I'm going to pray for that person. That doesn't mean you have to like wild out and start praying in tongues and lay hands on them. But God hears your prayers. Imagine we start covering what it's going to do for you is you're lifting your eyes even off your circumstances and God starts taking care of your circumstances that you've been worried about so much because you're entering into the mission of God to help someone else. Start a conversation. Ask questions like, one great question we are challenged in our Engage class and engaging people is this. If God could do a miracle in your life today, what would it be? Man, you'd be amazed the things that people say. And you start hearing the heart and the longing. You're like, we have more in common than we thought, even if you're very different than me. 
Ask questions. Listen, next thing, salt. Listen to learn. I want to learn about you. I'm not trying to win you over. I'm, I, I care about you. And ask this question in your heart as you're listening to someone talk. Holy Spirit, what do you like about this person? You know, God's not just out to get you, but he is out to get you. He wants you. And he's going, I've got something for them. Tell your story or this story, the gospel. So be prayerful, be light or be salt. And then finally, be curious, be adventurous. And I'm wrapping up here. God has these good works planned for you. And what if, like I said, you lift your eyes up every once in a while and go, God, what adventure do you have today? Not just what's on my calendar, but God, what do you want to do? Isn't that following him? What do you want to do? And I'm telling you, I could tell you this after... 20 plus years in the Christian life, he'll take you places. Some you don't want to go, but all of them for your good. And he will help you to plant seeds and enter into life of people where it's undeniable that he is God, that he is Lord. Not just what you're trying to figure out in apologetics and answer all the questions that the Bible and the world has, but you relationally go, man, I would not have seen that without God. And my contributing factor that God wants to do with me takes your discipleship to a whole nother level. Here's the question. Are you being recalled to engage again? To engage with people? To look up, to pray, to think? Got an opportunity yesterday to start talking to this waitress that me and a bunch of guys, we were doing a Bible study together yesterday morning and her name is Angelica and she was new. We were talking, relating and you know what? She's on my prayer list right now because I'm thinking, man, God's gonna capture her heart. As our, our men are there and she waits our tables, she's coming to Jesus and she's gonna know the love of God. Just through questions, just through relating, just through talking, I want you to grab your phone. Everybody get your phone. You get to do this in church. Yay. Now don't go tweeting anything yet. But go to Google and type in these words. There are no ordinary people. First thing that probably pops up is a quote by my man C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. There are no ordinary people, he says. This is my excuse to get you to read C.S. Lewis. Take it home with you, screenshot it. He says this, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub and exploit immortal horrors and everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, to that waitress or waiter or person in line that is in my way. No superiority, no presumption. You've never met a mere mortal that's inconvenient to you. And maybe God is calling you 
to be in relationship. Maybe God is calling you to start a conversation, to ask some questions, to listen, and ultimately to share, to tell the gospel. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you are good, that you commune with us, and we get the opportunity to do so with you. Engage our heart evermore. Engage us with your word, with your spirit, so that we will remember the lost sheep, God. I pray that City Life Church becomes a church that is passionate about those outside to come in, be established and equipped and empowered. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're being called today. Maybe God's saying, yeah, lift your eyes up. The harvest is ripe. I want to move and I want to move through you. Many many think, well, I can't because I'm not this or I'm not that. And he's going, no, that's, that would be for you to boast. But I will receive glory when you walk in the good works I've commanded you. I want to take a moment and ask you to get your communion ready as we wrap up. And we're going to have prayer at the end of service as we close. We'd love to pray with you and watch God move on your behalf. Right now, our focus and our attention is on the one that first engaged us. This is why we do communion every week, to be reminded of the broken body and what it took the uncomfortableness of Jesus to save a wretch like me. And it's that that not only I fill myself with, but then it encourages me to do the same for others. The Bible says this in Mark 14, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying this, take it, this is my body, take the bread. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. He said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, take the cup. Lord, thank you for engaging us. Let us follow you to engage others. I want to ask the worship team to come up and we're going to Worship the Lord together. Will you stand to your feet and ask him to give us a heart to engage beyond our own abilities. Let's worship the Lord.